0: Welcome to the Beyond Fitness Podcast. This is your host, Cade Howell, and I just want to say thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. Alrighty, this is going to be part two to the Q&A that Coach Jake and I did last week or the week before, depending on when this comes out. So if you didn't listen to part one, feel free to go back and listen to that. We cover a lot of really good questions in that episode, and it just turned out to be a little bit longer than anticipated because we went on some side tangents. Some really good side tangents though. Um, So we split it up into two parts. This is the second part. We're going to cover a couple more questions here, like some basic ones, like what are some of our favorite kind of go-to protein snacks for on the go. Um, We discussed some different practical things with that, with protein intake, um, how many hours of sleep someone should get each night, and how to kind of influence your sleep for the better, different targets you should aim for and different kind of tactical things that you can do to improve your quality of sleep. And also how many calories, protein, carbs, fats you should be eating. So basically how to set your calories and macros, how to figure out what your maintenance intake is, how to figure out if you should be eating more or less than that, how exactly to set up your protein intake. And if you, if you should even worry about carbs, fats, we dig into all of that stuff so i think you guys will get some really good takeaways from this episode. So with that said, let's jump into part 2 of the Q&A with coach Jake Parker.
1: Did you ask the last question? I can't remember. I did. Yeah, we got on uh, a yeah. tangent about uh, vacation. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, it was a good tangent though. I mean, while we're at it talking about like nutrition, different like personal recommendations, there was one question that are, what are some of your go-to protein snacks?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I would say for me, there's like a like a handful of things I always talk about to clients when I'm talking about protein. And I would say like these make up 80% of my protein intake probably, which would be uh, cottage cheese and Greek yogurt. I kind of group them in the same. They're very similar macros. Uh, if you're a dairy person and don't quote me on this, but I think a lot of times people that even if dairy is kind of hard for them can do okay with Greek yogurt. Cause it's like low lactose. Mm-hmm. I believe I've heard that before. I'm not hundred percent sure, but anyway, Greek yogurt and cottage cheese um, would be like one category and then protein supplements, protein shakes, protein bars would be another one. Um, when we're talking about on the go quick snacks, I like jerky. So beef jerky, I have a client who doesn't eat pork or beef. So he has uh, chicken jerky and they make Turkey jerky too. So that kind of stuff. Um, and then like, obviously, what's going to be the best source of protein is meat. But, you know, if you're talking on the go, that can sometimes get tough. Like if you got to throw it in a backpack or something that's not refrigerated. So those are the ones that jump to mind for me. Yeah,
0: that's you pretty much covered all mine. But it reminds me, <laughs> I remember when I first got into this, all this fitness stuff, and I was trying to just like get in as much protein as possible. Me and my buddies went to a movie one night and I was like, well, and like, got to like get my protein. Oh, in. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I, I packed up in a Ziploc bag. I threw in a bunch of cottage cheese in it. And then I mixed in some tuna to really make sure I was getting in enough protein. Crack that baby open in the middle of people the, are making a face <laughs> right year. now. Yeah. Dude, I, looking back, I'm like, man, what was I thinking? You know, those people were yeah. probably <laughs> that's like the worst combination. I mean, I guess cottage cheese doesn't really smell but tuna by itself yeah and i yeah. think i put some like hot sauce in there too but mm-hmm. yeah, pretty questionable but yeah that was pretty much all of the ones uh yeah greek yogurts a, a solid like the l- little greek yogurt cups and protein bars jerky yeah it's really anything else actually
1: i was just thinking so i have been camping more this summer since i moved to denver and one thing that is mm, i've never eaten it on its own but i like to bring I'm not like a big tuna fan, but I like to bring those chicken packets, which are like the same thing. I just bring them to like all you often have pasta when you're camping, like put them into that. So I don't know if I could advise it as a, as a snack mm-hmm. uh, on its own. I've never tried it. I'm sure it wouldn't be too bad. But yeah, if at least it's something when I think of like go to protein snacks, a lot of times I'm thinking of people that are like students or like on the go or whatever, but they don't have a fridge. Like I know that was one of my biggest struggles when I was like a student specifically it's like okay I'm gonna be on campus all day so I you know like obviously eggs are great meats are great but they're not near as accessible as some of this other stuff so I would say yeah if I'm having a protein stack on the go it's probably nine times out of ten gonna be either jerky or some sort of protein powder or bar but Mm. I would also caution just because I think it's another interesting point of conversation like I've now noticed with a lot of clients, the, like, I guess you would call it like artificial fiber. Like there's like 15 grams of fiber in like a quest bar. Sometimes sugar that alcohol. can really upset people's stomachs. Yeah. So be careful not to go too overboard and just like pay attention to how you digest um, certain protein bars and like sugar alcohols too are in like a, uh, is it like pure protein? They're like blue. They sugar alcohols are in pretty much They're it. probably in, like pretty much all of them, which sometimes yeah. people can also have digestive issues with. So yeah. yeah. Just be mindful of, you know, you don't want to eat a, a bar that screws up your stomach for the next couple hours after you eat it.
0: Yeah. Another thing with like protein snacks is I'm, I'm not a big like snack guy. I would rather like just get my protein in in a meal, but there are situations yeah, I agree. where you're, you're traveling and stuff where it's nice to have some of those snacks, but mm-hmm. typically I like to dedicate my protein and calories to meals. And I think I it's agree, a good for idea sure. for a lot of people, but like I said, when you're traveling and stuff, it is helpful to have
1: some. Yeah. Nice yeah and I think like, and just speaking to, to something that I had kind of difficulty with when I was younger too, and had less of an understanding around all this stuff is like, you know, you get very obsessed. I always call it like missing the forest for the trees, like, which was definitely me when I was younger. And you get obsessed with like, all oh, the, you know, the having to eat every protein every three or four hours, which is helpful. But, you know, if you're not doing that a few times a week, or, I mean, I probably wait five or six hours in between meals every day like it's not a dire thing so yeah and that in realizing there's really not a limit to how much protein you can digest unless it's causing like gastrointestinal distress so like it's making you feel like you have to crap it all out or really just hurting your stomach you know if you're like a man like caterized size you can maybe have 70 80 90 grams of protein like sometimes i'll have that much in a meal and if it's from something like clean, so to speak, like meat, it usually is going to be digested pretty well. So maybe that might be a good, uh, reason to not have to worry so much about protein snacks too.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's all about like, what's quote unquote optimal versus what's actually practical, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I have heard that thrown around of like people being concerned about having too much protein in one feeding and like whether it's going to digest. And I think the thing that a lot of people like, wonder about is how the thing to consider, I guess, is like how much of that protein is actually going to go towards muscle growth. Cause anything above, let's say 50 grams for a lot of people, your body's still going to absorb it and use it, but it might not be used towards muscle growth. But is that mm-hmm. like a bad thing? You know, you have kind of a certain amount that's actually going to be used towards. And then everything else is just left over Your body just burns off as energy. You know, Yeah. So, this is something my- I've
1: always found a little bit confusing, but I know like reading around online, um, some people also are of the belief that like whatever doesn't go towards muscle building may help with like further anti-catabolism, which is like breaking down of muscle later in the day. So, you know, it kind of does have hopefully like a a beneficial effect, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that's why we like we tell nine out of 10 clients unless like they're really coming to us with like tons of experience already having things pretty dialed in. We're like, okay, probably don't worry too much about meal timing. Like, get a few servings of protein a day if you can. But the number one priority is going to be your grams, your amount of protein per day.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing: is the bigger the protein serving you have, the longer it's going to take to digest. Uh-huh. And so yeah, that like, too, yeah. It might. If you have like twenty grams of protein, it might digest in the next hour or two. But if you have sixty, it might be in your your system digesting depending on the source for you know, six hours or something like that. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I think that was good for that question. What's the
1: break it down, do one yeah. more. Uh, cause this one's yeah. related to about, uh, best way to work out how many calories, protein and carbs should be in daily. So just kind of like about macro splits. And I think probably meal timing kind of plays into that too. So yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's, there's
0: like simple, a simple way to do it. And then there's, you know, if you want to be in the weeds and more on like the quote unquote optimal side of things, which that's kind of like the sexy thing nowadays is to like get all dialed in with everything, but you can, I'd argue you you'll make, you know, 90, 95% of your progress, just focusing on your overall calorie and overall protein intake compared to focusing on the perfect amount of the perfect ratio of carbs and fats, mm-hmm. nutrient timing and things like that. And there's a place for that depending on the person and their goal. But a lot of times it's like, Calories and protein, that's gonna be, you know, what makes up the vast majority of your progress. And you I actually saw you made a post about this, like a really simple way to figure out how many calories you should Mm -hmm. eat. Give us a quick rundown on that, and then maybe I can like the more complicated. Yeah, I guess
1: like my perspective has really changed over the years. And I like, as everybody on the team knows, like I think maybe I'm just a little bit traumatized from being so like neurotic about all this stuff for a while, but I like to make it as simple as possible. So like, I'm fine if a client wants to do like count all their macros, but I want to be really sure that they're going to be dialed in because like where I've been in the past, you know, so much of this is just speaking towards like mistakes that I've made. Like I might hit my carb fat and protein targets perfectly, Monday through Friday, but then like I'll go and I'll just like not even be anywhere close on the weekdays. So that's why I prefer with most clients like myself to count calories and protein, number one, to make it simpler. And number two, focus on the weekly average uh, more so than like the daily average. But there's definitely a place for like, if you're like, you know, I want to, I want to do as much as I can, you know, say a client comes to us and they're like, the next six months, I want to be as dialed in as possible. I want to count macros and so the recommendation would be as you were alluding to it's so hard with online calculators to get an accurate read of what your into you're like your whether it's your maintenance or surplus or deficit just because there's so many individual factors and so much like metabolic variation so the easiest way to do it is you take your body weight times 14 if you're lightly active like mostly office job small amount of steps a few workouts a week at most um, 15 if you're moderately active so have some hobbies that keep you busy, maybe a workout four times a week, maybe a move a little bit at work. And if you're very active, I'd multiply your body weight times 16. So that's like, you know, consistently like four workouts a week, very active, maybe like 12,000 plus steps a day type person. Um, and that should get you to about your maintenance. And then from there, just if you want to focus on a surplus or a deficit, which most people do, if they're trying to calculate this, um, either going for about a 10% surplus and a, or about a 20% uh, deficit and how I would work out carbs and fats. Again, if someone wanted to get detailed and is like specifically with, if you're focusing on lifting weights and retaining or gaining muscle, you want to try to eat as many carbs as possible after you hit like your protein and fat threshold. So typically want to get like at least 0.25 grams of fat per pound of body weight. So like 160 pound man, like at least 40 grams of fat. And then typically I like the one gram per pound of body weight, um, for protein. So then the rest of that would be, um, diverted towards carbs. And again, like if that's, if you're trying to be just as strict as dialed in as possible with most clients, I'm going to be like, okay, eat some fats, eat some carbs throughout the day, focus on hitting your protein intake. And then the number one thing is going to be calories. But again, like there's a spectrum of how dialed in people want to be and should be just based on their, their circumstances.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You nailed that I don't have much to add there. There's kind of like the, the simple way and i think that the biggest thing to understand is regardless of if you do more of a simple way like times your body weight times 14 15 or 16 depending on how active you are or you use like an online calculator which can be they can be fairly accurate you know they have different equations and stuff and they'll ask about your activity level and all of your your metrics and things like that and they can give you a decent idea but regardless of what you do it, it does come down to trial and error because yeah, true. true. That's why have included. Yeah, your maintenance intake is different every single day, too. You know, if you go grocery shopping one day, you might burn an extra hundred calories walking around the store, and you know, just depending on the foods you eat, it's it's going to be different every day. So you have to have some way of knowing roughly how many calories you're eating, and then tracking your body weight. And if by comparing those, you can see like, okay, what is the amount of calories that has my body weight? remaining about the same on average. And then, you know, that that's your, your rough average maintenance intake. And then if you want to, you know, either lean down and, and, you know, focus on eating in a deficit going slightly below that, I would say, you know, like the, the percentage you gave like 10 to 20%, or for a lot of people, that's going to be like 250 to 750 calories below that, depending on where, you know, you're, your body size and like how aggressive you're being. And then on the flip side of that, if you want to focus more on muscle growth and eat in a surplus, then it's going to be usually maybe 250 to maybe 500 calories above that, but you don't need as big of a a surplus typically for muscle growth. Um, and then as far as like the macro split, like protein, carbs, fats, you're pretty spot on protein. I usually like, the ballpark of like around 0. 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound, depending on you know if you're like kind of on the the leaner side, maybe you struggle with hunger, maybe eating towards the 1.2 gram per pound mark. And this is, you know, I don't want to say excessive, but it's definitely on like the higher end. But I don't see a big downside in aiming right. slightly higher. And then if you come under, it's like okay, then you're mm-hmm. you're still in a good spot. But Especially if you're somebody it
1: your can help a lot yeah. with hunger in a diet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that, that if you're leaner slash hungrier, um, aiming towards that 1.2 gram per pound Mark. And then if you're more overweight or you're not really struggling with hunger, or maybe like your appetite's really low leaning towards like 0.8 grams per pound. And then fat usually like Jake said, that minimum of like 0.25 grams per pound. You want to just make sure you're getting that in because fat's really important for like hormone production absorbing like fat soluble vitamin just your overall health you want to mm-hmm. make sure you're getting in that amount and then the most important thing is just like what what you enjoy the ratio between the two but like jake said you do want to bias carbs typically if you're really serious about your performance and building muscle so i think that ballpark of like 0. 0.3 to 0. 0.5 grams of fat per pound of body weight is a good spot for a lot of people and then the rest to make up your calories would you just fill with with carbs so. yeah,
1: yeah, carbs are your friend for for gaining muscle. But you know, it always comes down to like we keep like we or like I always try to come back to it's like consistency and what you can adhere to is the most important thing. So sometimes I'll have a client that's like, Jake, like I just really don't like high protein foods. Like I have a hard time getting more than you know, say like 0.6 um, grams per pound of body weight of like totally fine. We'll just set your goal 0.6 for like a 180 pound man, I think would be like one ten or so. Like, okay, like just, you know, we've had this conversation a lot too, where you get so wrapped up in like this optimal idea that people have. And like, of course, if people can get to a gram per pound of body weight, that's great. They should, but it's not like you're leaving these huge gains on the table. If you're consuming 0. 0.6, you know, 0. 0.5, even grams a pound per, per body weight.
0: Yeah. And if you understood like what the average, I don't know the specific numbers, but what the average person gets today, it's probably I'm confident saying it's well below 0.5 grams per pound. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably like 0.3 or something like that. So yeah. anything above that, like you're you're doing good. You know, compared
1: yeah. to just to touch. I think the weight thing is really important because that's the one thing I, I left out. It's like make sure you're taking your weight consistently and looking at the average because people yeah. can get so wrapped up in like, oh, today I was 184, then the next day I was 181, and making sure you look at your weight on average and then again seeing like. What direction you're heading in? Like, if you're gaining, maybe trying to gain quarter to a half a pound per week. If you're losing, maybe trying to gain or maybe trying to lose a pound or so per week. Uh, It's all about the direction, and that's what's going to tell you where your surplus or deficit is. Not not an equation. Of course, the equation is going to get you close, but you know, sometimes we'll have a client that comes to us for the first time. They're like, "Well, I've been in this deficit for two months and I haven't lost any weight." And it's like, then scientifically, you weren't in a deficit. You know, so always making sure to rely on the data more so than, you know, like what this equation tells you. For
0: sure. Yeah. It does always come down to, to trial and error when it comes to figuring out calories. There's no specific equation that's ever going to figure it out a hundred percent for you. Um, do you have time for, I have about 10 more minutes if you want to bust yeah. through a couple more, and then we'll probably just have two parts of this. So um, the next one I wanted to ask you was how many hours of sleep should one get per night? Because you, you've dug into a lot of like sleep stuff. I know that's like a big priority for you and it is for me too. And I think, you know, a lot of people should make it more of a priority, but you know, quite a bit about sleep and things like that. But
1: yeah, it feels Um, like I always just really nerd out on this type of stuff that I realized, like I'd messed up in the past. So sleep is another one of those things for me. Like it reminds me again of, you know, so much of this stuff is based around like societal conditioning, kind of like I said, with like the clean plate rule, you know, you're you grow up, you know, you, your parents tell you you have to eat all your food, you kind of keep this in the back of your head and your psyche It's the same way. Speaking of my own experience, like I felt that way with sleep for a long time. Like I was around people that were, you know, high performers that were like successful people. And I always had this idea, like successful people, like they just don't need sleep, like you're lazy if you get eight hours of sleep per night. Versus realizing like as I got older, how much scientific data there is on like how beneficial it is mentally, physically, even emotionally to try to get, you know, at least like seven and a half to eight hours of sleep per night is what I try to shoot for. Um, So just to answer the question in that way, if you can get up to like over eight and a half, nine hours, that's great. Try I love for clients to be at a minimum of seven and a half hours. Obviously, like a lot of people... You know, their schedule isn't quite flexible enough for that. So, getting like between seven and nine hours is that general recommendation that I like. But I think an important caveat here is just realizing how important your nightly routine can be because I have started tracking a few things again, as you know, Cade. And like one of them is I've been tracking the amount of time I'm in bed. So, just like understanding you can't always have that much control over when you fall asleep. So, I like trying to account for like an extra half hour that I'm in bed knowing I'm probably not going to fall asleep. And that's like without my phone, like without reading, just trying to get to sleep. But uh, I think that, you know, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're like, oh, I got eight hours of sleep last night. But you know, you got in bed at 11 and watched TikTok till midnight and then got up at seven, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. There's a, a big difference there. So short answer would be like ideally seven to nine hours for a lot of people, you'd say?
1: Yeah, I would say. The best recommendation is like, and again, this isn't a perfect world. I know this isn't most people, but and I, I'm not even there most times. But if you can wake up in the morning without an alarm, like not that you have to not set an alarm, but like if you feel like when your alarm goes off, you're ready to wake up. That's a good sign that you've got enough sleep versus if like you're a person who has to snooze every morning. There's there there's a lot of benefit in trying to carve out more sleep if you can. Yeah, for sure. I don't know that. Yeah, if I
0: didn't have an alarm, I think I would be able to just kind of continue sleeping. Maybe that's a sign I need to get more sleep. I don't know. But I I,
1: just so hard, you know, and I think when it comes to protein, like these are like the protein question and the sleep question are examples of two things where one is so easy to manipulate. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. have a have a protein shake per day up your amount of protein by 30 grams. But it's like adding a half hour of sleep. I like to be guarded and how strict I try to be. With that for a client, and it depends, like if they're, you know, like a single guy in their 20s, like me, I might be a little bit more strict and be like, come on, you can find an extra half hour. But if it's someone like, you know, like Kate as a family, and so if he was my client, it would be harder to be like, oh, you got to get 30 more minutes of sleep if, you know, he values like the couple hours he spends with his family at night too. So it's one of those things that's very context dependent in that sense.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think the biggest thing to understand is like, yeah, ideally, you know, you're in that seven to nine mark, but any, any improvement you make is True. a if you're True. used to getting like five hours and you bump that up to six, like that's a big improvement and you're probably going to notice a, a big, you know, improvement from that. So that's, that's something to consider. And I guess, what would you recommend? Like, if you're not hitting that, do you have any like specific tactics that you can do to
1: help people? I think people of- sometimes ask if napping, um can count and I say, yeah, for sure. If you can get some sleep like after work or something, if that works for you, as long as it doesn't like screw up, you know, like your ability to get to sleep at night, I would count napping. Um, I don't know. There's just so many things like, you know, just optimizing your routine. Can you watch one less episode of Netflix? Like, is that feasible for you? Can you a lot of times it just comes down to having clients sleep with their phone outside their bedroom? You know, again, like we've like is kind of in the theme with this. It's so much more, it's it's less like you need to get this outcome and it's more, you need to change these variables. So that outcome is more or easy,
0: you know? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the little things make a big difference. Like for me, if I like sat on my phone or like watched Netflix in bed, I would probably really struggle with my sleep, but I have mm-hmm. a certain routine where I go up in my room and I brush my teeth and do all that stuff. And then I set my phone on the other side of the room, partly because when my alarm goes off, I don't want it to be right there. And it's easy to just hit snooze and sleep in. Mm -hmm. And other, the other part is like, I don't want to be sitting there scrolling in bed. And it's tempting if it's just sitting there on my nightstand. Mm -hmm. And then I get in bed and I read a couple pages of a book and that's like a simple enough routine, but it works super well that I just, I doze off easily. And so I think it's Being intentional about like your bedtime, when you actually want to go to sleep and reverse engineering based on when you need to wake up, when you need to go to sleep to actually get, you know, that the amount of sleep you need, and then actually having a routine that's going to promote calming down and falling asleep, not, you know, sitting, scrolling, staring at a screen, which is the exact opposite thing you want to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You hear mixed reviews on like blue light blocking. It's something I'm a fan of. And I just Mm -hmm. like have blue light glasses that I do like to watch TV at night sometimes. So I'll just pop them on when I'm watching uh, TV and I've done it for like the last few years. So it's just like a routine maybe is more placebo effect. I'm not hundred percent sure. I mean, I know the research is like favorable, but uh, I'm not going to say it's going to make a huge difference. But uh, yeah, I think your point about all or nothing, you know, with, just because you can't get seven hours of sleep doesn't mean going from five to six is not going to be a huge improvement. And that's true with everything that we're saying. Like, if you're like, man, I consume 50 grams of protein, we'll consume 60 or 70 the next few weeks and see improvements. Or, you know, you're like, oh, I always binge on vacation, like try eating just one or two healthy meals next time you're on vacation. And just seeing these small things add up is the biggest key to success in fitness overall.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's never a, An all or nothing thing and that's what a lot of people struggle with is they think they have to be perfect with all this stuff yeah. to see the progress they need but any any improvement is most likely going to lead to a change over time you know and you, yeah. they just compound on themselves so it's, it's like
1: your example of you used to be trying to train six days a week and then you do that for a week not do it for a week you know yeah. like i keep saying the words compliance adherence sustainability I don't want to make things easier on a client because I don't think they could handle it. Like I'm using air quotes here, but I just know the more you can stick to something, the more motivation adds up and you just get this positive cycle of momentum. So that's why simplicity and starting small are keys for for me when it comes to coaching or just giving advice.
0: Yeah. It's way better to be like 80% on 95 or 100% of the time compared to being 100% on like 30% of the time. because It's just mm-hmm. not realistic you know so we do have a couple more questions but we'll probably wrap it up there um any last like thoughts or anything from you jake i guess tell
1: i don't think so that was a good bow to to wrap it up with i think yeah. with all or nothing kind of
0: point Agreed. we could keep going but we'd probably just ruin it yeah. at this point so we'll, we'll leave it there but tell people where they can find you like get some of your content and stuff
1: so i'm at jake on instagram uh, I'm one of the beyond fitness coaches. So I, as, as far as if everybody likes this and it works for Kate and I, we're going to keep doing some Q and A's in the future. So yeah, we're always available uh, by Instagram DM. Um, I have a newsletter I like to put out. We want to start putting out more stuff on my podcast, which is something that's in the works. So yeah, lots of, lots of ways to find us and, and check out what we have to say.
0: Yeah. And funny thing about Jake's podcast is We, before we even knew each other, we each had podcasts. Mine was called beyond fitness and his was called beyond fit. So then when we met, it was just, it was, it was the stars aligned. Yeah, Um, exactly. So, and Jake has a really good newsletter. I would strongly recommend joining that because it's anytime I read it, I'm like, this guy's just too smart and he has too good stuff. So yeah, I'll link all that stuff in the description. You guys know where to find all the stuff i have too so check that out and hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we will be back next week yep thanks Thank you again for tuning in and listening. I really hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And if you did, take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram story and tag me at Howell underscore fit and leave the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions about coaching or need advice on anything training or nutrition related, shoot me an email at the email linked in the description and I will talk to you guys soon.